Alrighty. Okay. So Grace Guys has a question. Let's go ahead and bring her on. Okay, Grace Guys, can you talk? Yes. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious where Blue Skies lives because where I live is in the in where it is great so oh. <laughs> well I guess it's it's 10 a.m probably where blue skies lives because she just commented in the chat that it's 10 a.m oh she says it's great here too but she was being hopeful the chat function is <laughs> working now you guys so you can talk to each other I just recommend that you rename yourself before you go into the chat because this will be saved and I don't want anybody's identity to be revealed okay so what do you have grace guys sure so it's kind of a recurring theme for me and it's this idea of my general goal is to have more balance meaning what balance means for me is like more time with my family more time on hobbies less time at work and I really struggle every time I say no to work okay because the current balance is like 90% work and then 10% everything else that I try to shove together Mm -hmm. and so like a you know if you're looking at like what's a circumstance the general background is that when I started this particular job I'm in a surgical subspecialty Mm -hmm. Um, there were two surgeons myself and the other surgeon um, whom I got along with great and three months into the job the hospital fired that other surgeon okay and so then I became the only surgeon in that subspecialty for a 50 mile radius with a catch radius of about 150 miles. And so my workload went up, obviously, and to the point where we can't meet demand at all. Mm. And I just, I've, you know, tried to look at things from several different ways. I've made a lot of adjustments over the last year to prioritize like things that I just don't have to do um but even like I feel like I'm at my max of delegating and incidences will still come up and it's like well that's something that only I can do for example surgeries and uh yeah it's like I just can't physically do it (laughs) is there a plan to hire another surgeon to cover some of the load yeah so we put out the job offer um, relatively immediately so about three months after she left and then um, it's been nine months now and nothing <laughs> um, and I've done you know where I've like asked friends told friends of friends like posted on Facebook groups to try and advocate for the position um, it's just I think the particular area is it's just a smaller town and not something that rises to people's kind of forefront and there's a national shortage so yeah kind of all those components yeah yeah okay (laughs) is the hospital doing anything to advocate for a new job or new a new doctor yeah so I mean they posted the job they posted it on multiple different avenues um I don't know yeah I don't really even know what else we could do to advocate for the position um if anybody has been interested when they apply like I think I've been pretty strong in advocating basically to give them what they ask for. Um, So I I don't think that's been the issue either. Okay. And let let me just understand a little bit about the relationship you have with your hospital. What's that like? So overall, it's good. Um, I'm employed by the hospital. And then the structure of the contract, I think, is fair. It's on trend with like the appropriate salary, the benefits are good, the, the time off is good. Um, I think they really do want to support me. Um, it's just this kind of one missing piece where, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, you get kind of stuck. What's the one missing piece that you get kind of stuck? Which, which is just like the actual physical demand of how many patients we have that need this type of surgery. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So 
I'm not sure if you heard the coaching I did last week, but I've kind of made a little bit of a left turn from the standard model that we go through. Um, So hopefully this won't come as a huge shock and surprise to you. And hopefully it will actually build on the model because I think that that's really what it does. Um, So the model that we use is a really wonderful um, awareness tool for you to understand, okay, like what is the circumstance here that's happening? What, you know, what am I thinking about that? How does that make me feel? How does that contribute to how I show up? What result does that create? So we all know that, but my concern about just stopping there and that being it is like, okay, now what? So you've identified this dirty diaper you're sitting in and you have no pathway out of it. And what I'm interested in doing is helping you identify a pathway out of the dirty diaper that you're sitting in. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Sounds good. Okay, cool. <laughs> so if if we take a look at what you just shared with us, it sounds like at least on the surface level that there is um, there's an imbalance in the amount of work that's um, needed and the, the amount of, um, workforce available to do it. And you are the workforce. (laughs) Sorry to laugh at that. It's like my adult defense mechanism. Um, you are the workforce. Is that, I think that's, that, that, that's fair. That's fair. Cause I really have like extreme, extreme delegation as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) What do you mean? I basically show yeah, like I basically show up to see new consults for this particular, like, and um, it's only cancer consults that I see. Mm-hmm. Every other type of consult I've delegated to a PA. Um, and then I do surgery. Like, those are the two things that I do. I like if I have in basket stuff that gets delegated out to the MAs. If I have um, meetings to go to, I will ask, like, is this a required meeting in my contract? And if it's not, I won't go to it. So, like, so that's awesome. How did you, how did you, um, like there, there are many people I talk to who don't have this ability of extreme delegation, which I love. Um, how did, how did you come to be able to do the extreme delegation? A year of listening to the group coaching. So, oh, daily journaling. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> so maybe you are getting a pass. Yeah, maybe you are getting a path out of the dirty diaper. Um, Okay, so, and so even with the extreme delegation, there's still just, um, in your experience, there is still a, an imbalance in the amount of work, like the consults and surgery are so voluminous that, it's impacting and creating this sort of like 90% work, 10% life structure that you described in the beginning. Right. Okay. And it sounds like if you had a partner that would help. For sure. I think yeah, and I don't want to think that that's like the perfect solution, but that's really kind of like the impasse to the point where I've said, you know, like I'm open to locums, I'm open to other people kind of stepping outside of their subspecialty and I like assist, <laughs> I will assist them to learn. Um, yeah. Okay. So then um, you said something interesting just now and I want to highlight that. Um, oh gosh, what was it? It was... Oh my gosh. I wish I could rewind. Oh, I don't want it to be like the perfect, I don't think it's a perfect solution. Right? Oh, There's okay. No... So what is the perfect solution? Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think of having a partner who's trained in that subspecialty that it gets along with the team is, is, is about as close as you can get to perfection. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. That is what I'm thinking too. So we don't want a Band-Aid with locums. We want like a legit, amazing relationship with a talented partner who is going to contribute to the team and you guys will share. And that, I mean, that sounds awesome. 
So I think that that would be fun to kind of play around with to see what it is you're bringing that could help achieve that goal. Okay. And I don't know where this will go, but let's just play with it a little bit. So every time, okay. So it's possible that because you live in a rural community and, you know, things are what they are, that you'll never be able to find somebody to kind of be the golden, the golden team member. I think that seems unlikely. Um, And if that's not true, is it, is it, is there something that you could contribute from your corner of the team to the situation? Or is there something you are contributing that's creating this current situation? So this is kind of going back to the model again a little bit in that we want to know where it is we have power and we have power within ourselves and how we show up. Um, It's not to say that you create the problem because you obviously didn't. You're the one there that's the glue. You're keeping everything together. But is there something that you could offer within the way you are engaging that could facilitate this end result? If so, what would that be? I think maybe I could be more aggressive and like reaching out to contacts I have around the country to recruit um, to kind of make that more of a like weekly to monthly check-in as opposed to a seasonal check-in. Yeah. Um, and what about like having maybe it would be, you know, I think fiercely powerful for you to take the responsibility to do that. And I'm not discouraging it, but I also want to offer that you have a hospital system that you work for. And is it possible that, that they could step up too? And insofar as your uh, engagement with that process, like meet with the hospital uh, recruiter to see what they're doing. Like, do you, do you guys like meet regularly to say, Hey, how are we solving this problem? So I meet with um, my upper level management weekly. And then um, I have met with hospital admin about this particular issue. And then I have met with the recruiter, but I could probably circle back with them. Um, to do that. Do they have any incentive if you're just taking care of business and not saying no to anything? Yeah, so I made it very explicitly clear to them that this was a short-term solution for me to be doing this, that, um, that I felt very confident and that I could move to a different job if they do not find someone within, a, basically within with the time that my initial contract's up. Wow. Okay. And how, how did that go? Uh, pretty good because we got around to the other surgeons at the hospital. Um, so I think it was effective. Um, I think it was effective. Okay. So there are other surgeons at the hospital? There are other surgeons not in this specialty. Yes. Are there any surgeons um, that would be interested in cross-training? Like you mentioned before, you would be willing to spin somebody up? So they are not interested. I did reach out to them both personally and through admin um, to see what the past had been as far as they're interested in and what their current interest might be. And there was not um, because the, the prior system, anytime there had been interest, they were definitely kind of batted away from contributing. Um, so I kind of extended out the olive branch and said, no, it would be different this time. I'm like happy to help you through this. If you have any questions, I'm here to like grow the program, not, not kill interest. Oh, that's interesting. So that is sort of reminiscent of this idea around that the last person who was fired, did, did that person kind of taint things a little bit? No, it was more the person before them. Oh, okay. 
And I think it was done out of good spirit. I think the goal at that time was to make sure that the quality was the highest it could be. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was done in a good intention. Um, but as the program's grown, because people have moved to the geographic region, mm-hmm. um, as far as patient-wise, mm-hmm. the the volume has almost doubled. So. so you have a couple things on your hands. Not only are you the sole um, practitioner here for this particular subspecialty, but also <clears throat> you're having to kind of like, you've inherited a bit of a history with the institution. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. That's interesting. What impact really does that history have? I mean, you kind of touched on it there. Is it a history that other people would know about too? Would that be affecting the recruitment process? So I don't think that affects the recruitment. I do think the fact that they fired the other surgeon does affect recruitment because it's a small subspecialty. Um, So I think it's pretty known what happened. Um, Oh, like in your community. Right. Like in, yeah, like in the, that particular subspecialty community, I think it's pretty known, even though contractually that's not what she's going around saying. It's just, it's, it's obvious that's what happened. This is um, interesting. Okay, so maybe there's some um, gossip going around, right? Like in the in the broader community, of right? Like, why would you apply to that position? They just fired her. Okay, so. so there's some gossip that's going around from the previous person in your smaller community, and certainly that would make people be like, "Ooh, I don't know. I don't want to work at a place where you're just going to get fired." I know, okay. it's like an onion. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's this is perfect. It's like an onion. This is always what it's like. And this is such a great example for people who might be listening right now. It's like we always see the surface thing. And then we peel back and we see these different layers. And really what the point of this is, is how how can you become empowered in your life to get what you want? And in this instance, it sounds like you want some relief from the load. Yes. Okay. And that's going to come one of two ways. It's either going to come if you have somebody to come take some of the load, or it's going to come if you start saying no to shit. And so what's it going to be? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think my hang up is, that the reality is like for at least the next six months, like let's say miraculously somebody comes and accepts the job offer tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It'll still be six months before they come. And it'll still be, you know, eight months before it's really transitioning some of the load. So in that eight months, my option is to say no, say no more. And yeah. then when I say no, I I don't know if it's like a gut reaction or just years of years of not saying no I feel terrible okay (laughs) so now we're getting somewhere now we're getting somewhere okay so let's let's think about that a little bit what's an example of something you could say no to so this week I already did say no um we have residents on the service and I love to teach and then so I have two physician assistants and then a resident and then they wanted to add a medical student. And that was something that I said, is this required? And then they said, no. And I said, we're not taking a medical student. And I felt, I mean, I just felt bad. But I, okay. I also felt like physically we couldn't handle that on top of everything. Yeah. And so, and so what kind of work does having a med student add? Yeah. So I'm really passionate about <laughs> teaching. And so I feel like that adds the work of taking the time out to teach them. It's a physical space issue. They, you know, they then kind of can slow down the case if they touch something or 
<laughs> make it, you know, mess up the sterile field. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they go to see a patient and they're the primary person, that's going to add an hour <laughs> because it just takes time. It takes time to learn. Okay. So you have a standard about what it means to be taught on your team. And that is that the person who's learning really does have a hands-on role. They're not just there as a fly on the wall, as many med students are in many areas. Like they're just not allowed to do anything or touch anybody these days. So you have a standard that um, they're going to be a part of the team and actually contributing. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay. And so then naturally they would, that would sort of slow things down in the ways that you described. So you said no. And in the process of saying no, describe to us kind of this, that general kind of experience of that for you. Like, yeah. What were you thinking? What were you feeling? I think it's because I'm saying no to prioritize the volume, right? Like the reality of the volume mm-hmm. over what I feel like is my value, which is teaching. And I think that's where the the negative, emo- like the the pull feels, right? Is oh. that I'm having to prioritize the volume over what I value, which is teaching, spending time with people, developing relationships with patients. Um, I'm just having to like physically, yeah, meet the numbers. Do you, do you feel like you're having to compromise something with your own integrity with quote unquote, meeting the numbers? I'm not there yet, but I can definitely see where it's very close to where like the value of care, I think is very close. And I have to be very mindful of not burning out, of not um, becoming bitter. Like it's just very close. Is there a way to just say no to the patient volume in some way? Just say like, no, we're capped. We, We can't physically take any more right now. So we've tried to do that in other ways, which are these like non-cancer. That, I mean, to the point where I've like looked at the list and been like, if it's not cancer, pre-cancer, it's not happening. Okay. Did that help? It did. It did help. It seems as though there's still something deeper. Like if it's just simply saying no to stuff or hiring a new person. That would solve it. So why isn't that happening? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why we can't hire a new person. I mean, other than than the other things I listed. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the big pull is just like I feel like I have a limit. I'm at my limit. Maybe there's a part of it that's like I think other people could have a higher limit, and I don't know why that matters. Oh, <laughs> tell 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 us about that. What do you mean? Um, okay, yeah, I think there's always that idea of someone else could could reach like someone else could handle this volume. It's like a personal thing that I can't. Hmm. So is there something around you feeling like you're like if we have, you know, a high level football team, for example, and we've got, um, okay, forgive me for making this reference because I actually don't know much about football, but I do know that, uh, what's his face? Now I can't think of his name, the quarterback, you know, that's married to Giselle Bunchen. Uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady. So we've got him. He's like the star of the team. And we've got the other people on the team. Are you labeling yourself as like somebody who's just like not as strong a player? Yeah, I definitely think that's, yeah, I don't know why that's in my mind that that, that that's a thing that there's something that like 
I personally, because it's not, yeah, I I don't know why I do that. So when I was asking you earlier about, you know, if you're bringing something to this situation, what could it be? This, this could be it. And when Mm -hmm. we have these thoughts and feelings, they create kind of like a residue on our actions and how we show up it people. So in the model, we say, well, you can't control other people. And that's factually true that you can't control other people, but you can sure as hell influence other people. We see this all the time when somebody's an asshole, you know, it like you can feel it coming off of them. You can smell it. You, you know, when somebody's angry before they utter a word, you know, when somebody feels afraid often before they utter a word, it's because we're sensory beings. And just like animals out in the wild, we can sense that. And so there's must be something that is happening. That's also, you know, kind of creating a residue. And I wonder if, um, And I don't know, I'm just spitballing here because I want to help you kind of, it's like trying to like pop a zit. It's like, we're trying to figure out what's the thing that's the limitation. If you had a thought bubble over your head that people could read, what would that be just on any given day? yeah I think it would probably say I'm like I'm at my limit yeah I'm at my limit okay and when you say that like what kind of feeling does that create for you yeah I like approaches exhaustion or yeah okay exhaustion okay Oops. Hey. And when you're exhausted, then what, how do you show up? Yeah, I probably show up tired. <laughs> yeah, act tired. <clears throat> and then I'll just disengage. That's near my... That's my protective. When I get to like beyond exhaustion, that's my protective go-to. So when you're at your limit, so now we're talking more about like this original thing that you came with, with this whole like 90-10 balance thing it's like it sounds as though you are sort of maxed out all the time that's fair it's like 90 percent work 10 percent living you're maxed out all the time and then this is going to be the experience you know with the residue of exhaustion. But what we really want is to solve the problem of too much work for you. And that has to come either with just flat out saying, we're not doing this or getting another person to come share the load. And if anybody else has anything to offer, I love crowdsourcing because we all go through these things and it's kind of fun to see what creative things people come up with. We're talking actions. So say no, I'm going to put, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can see this, but I've got two models written here. One is disempowered and one is empowered because being empowered, being a person of power is what will get you what you want. We can say no. Recruit harder.
set boundaries. Makes me wonder if when you told them, if they don't feel this thing, you're out of here, if they believed you. I think they definitely believed me because they had an emergency meeting <laughs> and then they it got all the way to like upper level. I met with the CEOs and then also they got around to any surgeons who are in upper level management because mm-hmm. the hospital system, there's so many levels. So to the point where they go, are you, I heard you were leaving. <laughs> like I think they thought it was like, oh, it's happening because it didn't, because we're now a year in and we don't have another surgeon. So they're like, oh, okay. So obviously you're not, right? Like, did you set a date? Yeah, so it'll come up in October. Okay. We have nine more months, I guess. I wonder what would happen if you um, move that shit up because the worst case scenario is, is that something happens to you or something happens to one of your patients because of the situation. It seems untenable and I have no reason not to believe you. So either it's like, it's time for an ultimatum, I think. Like either patients get turned away or you hire somebody new or I'm out of here. Which do you want it to be? It's like, you can present this to them, but it's like, I cannot do this any longer. But then one who presents with that kind of a ultimatum scenario then has to be prepared to follow through with it. Like, okay, I'm out, goodbye. I know this sounds harsh, but we, we'll just keep like saying, okay, I'm going to leave if you don't get this thing and they'll, they'll freak out and do nothing. Like how serious do, does one need to be in order to get somebody to listen? No. And I think I, I, I'm being serious with them. And I think this is one of like my, my praises for coaching in general is that before I would never back it up, but Mm -hmm. I really looked at, okay, well, what would it take? Almost like love it or lift it. Like, what is it going to take for me to stay? What's it going to yeah. take for me to leave? And what do I need to do that like I can financially prepare to leave that I can make sure um, from a job standpoint, we can go other places, things like that. So, yeah. and I, and I've, we've been putting those in place so that if it does come to it, we can do it. So. That's good. What I've learned is, is people, when something means enough to somebody, they'll do whatever it takes to get there. And becoming a person of power to get there, I think just makes the whole thing a lot more fun and a lot easier and a lot less like self-flagellation along the way. So if, if you truly want a better balance around your life, 90, 10 is a pretty shitty balance. Like If we're watching that on a movie screen, we're like, holy crap, this person literally gets up, flies out the door, works all day long, does not spend any time with her family, comes home, rinses off, repeats, boom. Like there's like 90-10 is suggestive of a pretty unhealthy imbalance. Do you agree? I agree. And I think the other thing I will always want to keep in mind is like, I don't want it to be like, oh, I feel like it's this and it's not really that. So to the point where I'll like write down the hours, like when was the time I left the house? What's the time I came home? Was there any part where like, I could have cut out, you know, is this really a reality or is this just how I feel? And unfortunately it's, it's the reality. Yeah. So, so I think, I think there are three options here. It's like you either say no and start turning patients away. Like, and this is how you can engage with, this is how you can um, determine like what it is you're bringing to the table. Like, what am I, how am I engaging with this situation? And right now it sounds like you're engaging in a way that's um, sort of like, halfway serious about it. Like, yes, I'm telling them that I'm going to leave if they don't get X, Y, or Z, but the time frame is really long. And then they can do some posturing around like making the appearance of freaking out, but nothing's really happening, that sort of stuff. It's like, we need really clear and concrete progress towards rectifying this. Otherwise, my concern for you is my friend is that this is going to damage you physically 
or a patient will get damaged physically. How can one person manage all of this? It, and telling yourself that you're limited is bullshit. You're not limited. You're unlimited. Yes, thank you for that. Yeah, definitely a lot to think about. And then... So let me just write it down. So we can say no like, and mean it, and set, and set a date, say no, um, or, like, do ultimatum. Like, either get new person, or leave. And then what would you need to feel to be powerful to do that? I'm thinking empowered. Yeah, that seems reasonable. And what would you need to think to feel empowered about that? I know what I'm thinking. And I will tell you. I'm in control. Yeah, I'm in control of my own time. Sure. That's one thought. I'm thinking my life and the lives of my family and my patients is far more valuable than this shit show. That's true. Also true. <laughs> and the way you describe it, it sounds like a really pretty shit show, like a really neatly organized shit show where like at the surface, everything's kind of, you know, I'm delegating and, um, they're working on recruiting and I, I actually really like this place and they're just not assholes. And it just kind of sounds like there's lipstick on a pig. No offense. To is, pigs. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely true. It was like, I think that's why I keep coming back to it is I'm like, I'm, I feel like on a personal level, I have grown tremendously. I think two years ago, I would have never said no to any of the things. I would yeah. have never delegated this much. I would have never um, had any boundaries. And I really have grown from a personal standpoint in that, that perspective. That's awesome. It's time to grow some more because no. <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you, um, my, my guess is here is that you're not getting paid commensurate for doing the work that you're doing. If your life is 90, 10, and you're running an entire service by yourself, my guess is they're not paying you a million dollars a year to do this. No. So not only do we have this idea around your life being imbalanced, you're under earning. And, and we, we, I'm not blaming you. I'm saying we all have been groomed to do this. We have been groomed to tolerate lipstick on a pig. And it's just time for us to stop it. <laughs> I think that's my opinion. It's time to stop tolerating it. What do you think about that? No, I think that's true. And I think, so my prior job, I was grossly, grossly underpaid. And so this one is definitely a significant step up. Um, but honestly, I just don't want them. I think I don't want more money. I just want more time. Well, time is money. So, um, and I think there's nothing wrong with wanting more money. Money is, uh, we've been groomed to kind of like, you know, not want to have money for the service that we provide. But the thing is, is that money is a metric. And there is something called fair market value. And in the market, it's so new. It's so, um, it's like data, right? It's like data and money is energy as well. And so the more money you have, the more safety you have for you and your family, it's a primal safety because if you have money, you can buy 
your way out of sticky situations. So it offers primal safety in 2023. It shows you that you are getting like a fair compensation, which it sounds like my guess is probably you aren't if you're working as much as you are. Um, And then I forgot the other point I was going to make, but we're groomed around money in a sense that we're like, I think in general taught that we shouldn't want to have money or shouldn't like, we should just want to do all this stuff for, for just altruistic reasons. And that's garbage. It's garbage, garbage, garbage. And all it, all that's happening is we're just staying kind of marginalized in this <clears throat> industry. And the longer we're kind of marginalized in the industry and it's like lipstick on a pig where it looks like a lot of good things are happening, but nothing really good is happening. We're going to stay on the periphery. And I know this doesn't affect everybody equally, but I think it affects a lot of people, a lot of women in surgery. So it's almost a form of activism really to be like, no, this cannot be tolerated for another minute. And then being a person of power means having these powerful thoughts that leave the residue of, I can do anything I fucking want, not I'm limited. It's like a completely different energy to engage with the world. Can you see that? Definitely. Okay. Well, hopefully there's at least some food for thought here. I know we took a a long time with that one. I really, really appreciate you bringing it, Grace, guys, because this, you know, and I'm sorry that you're in this situation. I wish that I could wave a magic wand and bring you a partner, but sadly, that's not going to really, you know, I feel like there are probably some like underlying issues of inequality here that wouldn't be solved by just magically having a partner show up. Um, So anyway, hopefully you have some food for thought and please come back for another round if you have um, more questions. And do you have anything else you'd like to add before we move on? No, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, thank you so much. Let me disable talking. So this is really interesting. Only recently have I noticed how under earning kind of shades lots of different aspects of the problems that we have. And it's kind of been wrapped up in this package of I don't feel worthy. But while a lot of us are are, um, groomed Again, groomed. I'm trying to be honest about things. We're groomed for this. We weren't born this way. We're not born feeling unworthy. We're groomed to feel unworthy by the conditions of our culture and by our history. Um, So we see the residue of that showing up in the form of under earning. And that under earning can be used as a metric. So we know when things, like when we are actually rising up out of that grooming and becoming personally powerful. And that's the metric of that is when we're getting paid appropriately. I hope this is making sense. We have 15 more minutes. Is there anybody else who wants to talk? Um, If so, if you haven't changed your name yet, please go ahead and do so. Um, Anybody? You know, I can't stand the silence. I'll just be talking. So the reason why I have kind of moved away from just using the model alone and gone to more of this paradigm of empowered versus disempowered is because I feel like the model, insofar as it helps us become aware of the current situation, like I was telling the first person who was on, 
it's kind of like, okay, I've just identified this dirty diaper that I'm sitting in. Now what? And we spend a lot of time there trying to understand like, okay, um, what's this trying to, what is this telling me about myself? Um, You know, what can I learn here? And I, I don't think that that's necessarily bad or wrong, but again, how does that really help us claw our way out of that stink? And I also think that in the circumstance line, while the circumstances are factually neutral, they don't feel neutral like 99% of the time. Even if we put something like murder <clears throat> up in the um in the circumstance line. This is something we talked about in my coach training several years ago. Somebody put murder up in the circumstance line and I'm like, "How on earth can murder be neutral?" This is stupid. What are we even talking about? Well, the the response was, okay, so the murderer doesn't think murder is bad. The murderer likes it. So therefore, we all can't decide that this is bad. And I'm like, that's not helpful at all. It's not helpful at all. So we pushed it up in the circumstance line that sure, on a factual basis could be, uh, you know, reported in a court of law, but any reasonable person would conclude that this is just a shit, shit situation. And why not call a spade a spade? Like, why not just be honest about that and then work with what we really have? Um, So anyway, that's kind of how I've been just hoping we can go another step with this coaching in that How do we go from a position of being disempowered, which we largely are as women in surgery and become people with personal power so that we can start engaging with the world in a way that allows us to win ourselves. And then also the whole world wins. When we show up as people of power, everybody wins. So for example, in that last, the last example When that person shows up in her personal power, she wins, her family wins, her hospital wins, her patients win, everybody wins. Okay, I'm going to stop like on my diatribe because somebody else has something to say. I'm going to allow On Call to talk here. Hey, On Call, what's going on? Um, Well, I'm working today. (laughs) Yay! Um. But um, I was working last night, and I'm always working. Yeah, right, always working. Um, I came home and, um, my, but is is your hair in good shape today? Tell me that. Um, it's, uh, definitely still gray. So (laughs) aren't you the one who was telling us that somebody complained about your hair when you were on? Oh, yes. Yes. We'll see what happens. I did put eyeliner (laughs) and mascara on. So anyway, sorry, (laughs) I digress. Go on. (laughs) Okay. So I, I, I get home last night late and my husband, tells me that he uh, went to pick up my daughter from some kind of event. And um, he, she always kind of takes a few minutes to come out. And um, like, I've kind of gotten to the point where if I'm picking her up somewhere, I'll text her and be like, I'm coming and you better be ready (laughs) because I'm not waiting around. But he didn't do that, I guess. And and she took a while and then he had, he got stuck kind of talking to a parent that, kind of had some weird situations with in the past, like kind of like maybe they had grown in a different way and kind of dropped us. And so he felt very awkward about that. And so that made him very upset. And and my response was, well, you know, you don't have to um, like, that was, that was their journey. And, you know, it's, it, it means nothing about us. And, um, you know, they're just made a, a choice that didn't involve us. And, and we don't have to, like us sitting here worrying about it is not going to change anything. We can't change the past. We can't worry away the future, but I guess I'd like some other thoughts on, and I know that's his model, but also like, I got to live with him. So I don't want him to get high blood pressure because he's upset about something. I'd like to so share. This coaching. is a, a child, your child, right? who had a friend and the friend dropped the child or the whole family dropped your family? Yes. 
more that's more of it the whole family kind of dropped but the the child and and my daughter are still kind of friends they're just not I mean they I think they would like to still be friends but I think maybe the parents dropped us (laughs) 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 oh my goodness don't have friends that you thought you had before and you were really close to but I mean So if the friends dropped you, yes, we're going to put our, I guess, because it sounds like you're not really bothered by this. Well, I I know I was, but I think through coaching, I've just thought, well, it's not, I I mean, they can do whatever they want. And it's kind of like we're Requando people. Okay. Well, thank you for your service. It's (laughs) yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really evolved way to think about it. But like, if we're talking about on a super, super primal level, Um, I've been talking about primal stuff a lot lately, because let me just share a little bit more about the reasons why um, I'm trying to kind of like get to the next step of coaching here. It's like, we're human beings who survived to, to to this day, to, uh, you know, today, we are today years old in 2023, and we are living, surviving creatures. And the reason that we are alive today is because these primal uh, DNA based forces made it possible, right? Mm -hmm. Like our survival mechanisms are so baked in to our brain and to our body that that has allowed us to persist. So then when you are faced with something where you could be rejected by another person in a, Mm -hmm. in a group rejection on that level feels really scary. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your husband could just be responding to like something he's not even consciously aware of where on a fundamental DNA level, his body is sensing rejection and it does not feel safe to be rejected. Yes. And you could be too. It would be surprised if you didn't. And I think that's why rejection is so damn hard is because it's primally um, risky to be rejected. Mm -hmm. As a species, we are safer in a pack. Yes. Right. So isn't that fascinating that your husband had this response? And so we can talk about models all day long. But the thing is, is it doesn't change that DNA basis of your body being like, what the fuck? We're in we're in trouble. (laughs) If we're mm-hmm. getting rejected. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe it's true that they, <clears throat> um, you know, just grew in their own way and don't want to be friends anymore. Right. And maybe it's true that it's not a big deal because everybody's in their own model. Or maybe there's, or maybe there's something more here to look at. Like, If you're, you know, you, I'll just say you, because I don't know your husband, but like if, if you guys as a unit are losing at the safety game. Yeah. And what is it that. Yeah. You guys could be. Work on too. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, it's almost as if you're limited by their behavior. And so then you're obligated to kind of go along with things when that feels like primarily risky. So what is it that I'm not saying this the way I want to say it. I'm so sorry. I'm like, um, not able to formulate this. It's like, okay, when you guys engage, they bring something, you bring something. Mm -hmm. What is it? that you could bring that could contribute to the situation? Like if, if there is something, what would that have been? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, probably we probably, um, I think there might've been some issue with like vaccination status and (laughs) masking quite frankly, (laughs) Oh, okay. So this is really interesting. So then they had, this is, 
this is, I think, going to be really illustrative. So thank you for bringing this. They, let me guess, they did not want to vax or mask. I don't think so. But I mean, I really didn't, wasn't ever pushing that. I just, sometimes I might post something on Facebook. Hey, you know, like the day I got vaccinated, I was super excited, you know, so post that on Facebook, you know. And I think, yeah. (laughs) Let's imagine for a second. There was a lot of fear mongering during COVID on both sides of the aisle, right? There was like fear mongering on the non-vax, non-mask side, and there's fear mongering on the vax and vax side. And who's right? I don't know. I mean, I know I wanted to be vaccinated. I wanted my family to be vaccinated and I wanted to wear a mask. But now Mm -hmm. I I also, to be fair, we are reaping the consequences of the extreme masking because everybody's fucking sick all the time. (laughs) Um, Anyway, that aside... This family, let's just imagine for a moment, mm-hmm. their, their primal safety, yeah. they're thinking, oh my God, we are all going to die if we get a vaccine. They don't know, mm-hmm. like this, th- this family is so judgmental of us because they want to, right. they think everybody needs to, I mean, whether or not you're right or wrong doesn't matter. It's how they interpret yeah. that residue that you guys brought, which is right. you guys are wrong and like think about the primal threat on that side then like Mm -hmm. safety is compromised so naturally it's like we've got these two um all i can think about is like wild animals and how wild animals engage when you know it's like they're sniffing each other Yeah. Right. So the question is, is, does that matter? Do you guys even care now? I know on the primal safety level, to some degree, you probably care, but do you really care? Yeah. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to tell him. Like, why do we care? Just, you can say hi and we do our things and they do theirs. (laughs) And if you do care and it's worth it to you to repair the relationship, which would restore us, you know, that DNA based sense of primal safety. What, um, you know, what would be a useful way to engage with them now? Yeah. I mean, that's why I just try to talk to them. Like nothing ever happened. (laughs) And here's something I've learned recently. It's really interesting way to communicate. It's like, um, offering, I'll just say it because, again, I'm having a hard time with my words. It's like, you know, your friendship has been valuable or whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've really loved sharing this yeah, with you and this community, our children. Yeah. We completely understand how scary the COVID times were. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of fear on both sides. And... Yeah. It's like you can you can come together with sort of a, a, a you don't have to compromise on any of your own beliefs, but also have understanding where somebody else might have been coming from. Yeah. <laughs> and just saying. I think everybody was just trying to do the best they could for their families with the information yeah. that they had. Yeah. And, you know. um Yeah, I, I, you know, that's the only, that's the only thing I can see because nobody has to be right or wrong. Even if we think we're right about the vaccines, it's not useful if it's important to you to repair the relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good thought. I, I think I'm going to talk with him about that and see if we could kind of move in that direction. Yeah. Thank you. And especially if the girls want to be friends too, it's going to be way easier for them if the parents yeah. are on good terms. Yes. Which then offers primal safety to your daughter. Yeah. Well, she feels better about it too. Mm-hmm. And doesn't feel like it's like a, yeah, she feels good about it. So cool. Thanks, Jessica. Okay. You're welcome. All right. Have a good day. Take care of yourself, you guys. I love <laughs> you so much. Thanks for bearing with me as I kind of am like trying to. 
get these new skills under my belt and they're coming. I'm going to Las Vegas next week, actually to do seven days of intense training on this, like empowered coaching. So hopefully after that, it will be a lot less clunky. Um, but I really appreciate everybody hanging in there with me. And hopefully as a group, we will all be able to become people of power. Okay. Love you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.